Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Back to Misconduct. I'm Eileen, and joining me as always is Colleen. How you doing, Colleen? I'm good. I can't believe it's already mid-December. I know. I'm wrapping up my end-of-the-year stuff at work, so I'm basically in this like weird, stressful period where I'm trying to finish all of this work in a short amount of time so I can mm. take a break. Uh, but it's going to be a two-week break, which is really nice. nice. Fingers crossed I don't get sick during this break because I just keep, for whatever reason, getting sick when I have time off. <laughs> Um, I also can't believe our next episode will be our one year anniversary of misconduct. Uh, but how are you? I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, I'm great. And I can't believe it's almost 2018. I just feel like time has flown by so fast. So it's just nuts, but I'm doing good. And I wanted to let everyone know last week we mentioned that we had a surprise. Well, here it is. We have been feverishly working on a new podcast. Do you believe in the paranormal? Do you like ghost stories? Well, we have the best of both worlds for you. Unearthly Paranormal Stories takes real people's paranormal encounters and writes them into an engaging and fun story. Unearthly will be written and hosted by Nicole, who you know from Misconduct. She would guest host once a month with us, and you may have noticed that she's been absent. Well, this is why. Nicole is an amazing writer, and she brings these stories to life. If you want to check it out, you can go to www.unearthlypodcast.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at unearthly underscore pod or like our page on Facebook at unearthlypod. You will be able to subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher really soon, promise, and we'll be posting updates on that on our Facebook and Twitter, etc. So just watch out for that. And if you have a paranormal experience of your own that you would like to share, you can email us at unearthly paranormalpod at gmail.com or visit the website and you can use the contact us through there. Yay, Nicole. Yeah. Uh, This is also our last episode of 2017. We're going to be taking two weeks off at the end of the year for the holidays. And Misconduct will be back on January 4th, 2018 with our one year anniversary episode. And with that, let's get into this week's case. On the night of December 24th, 2008, a large family Christmas party was winding down. It had been another successful holiday party for the Ortega family, but shortly after 11.30 p.m., a man approached the residence. Once the door was opened, he forced himself inside and started opening fire. During the chaos, a call was placed to 911 that identified the shooter as the ex-husband of one of the family members, and his name was Jeff Pardo. Shortly after that, the house went up in flames and Pardo fled. By the end of the attack, nine people would be dead at the hands of someone they knew. Bruce Jeffrey Pardo had recently divorced his wife Sylvia, and the house he attacked belonged to his ex-in-laws. By the time law enforcement tracked Pardo down, he was dead. 
He killed himself shortly after the attack, but evidence showed suicide wasn't his original plan. Despite the divorce, anyone who knew the couple was taken aback by Pardo's actions. Nothing about Pardo's past suggested that he would commit such an atrocious crime, but it quickly became clear that he had been planning the attack for some time. This week, we will go into the crime, the victims, and the man responsible. Personally, I find this case so disturbing because many of the warning signs you might look for didn't seem to be there. Covina, California is a small suburb east of Los Angeles in the San Gabriel Valley. It's generally a quiet suburb with under 50,000 people living within the city limits. A majority of the population is made up of families and people who commute west into Los Angeles for work. This is where Joseph and Alicia Ortega settled and where they were enjoying their retirement. Their children and grandchildren lived nearby, and the couple was known around the neighborhood for their close-knit family and large parties they would throw. The house was the center of so many family parties, ranging from casual get-togethers to family celebrations to holidays. That's why when the Ortegas were having their annual Christmas party at their house at the end of the cul-de-sac they lived on, no one in the neighborhood was surprised. It was nearing midnight on December 24th, 2008, and the Ortega Christmas party was winding down. Several members of the family had begun to make the rounds to say goodbye, and a lot of the 25-plus people in the home had congregated by the front door. Although it was late, a man was headed up the walkway towards the door. He knocked on the door, which immediately was opened. An eight-year-old girl had answered the door and saw the man standing there, and he was dressed as Santa. Excited, the girl headed towards the man, but he took out a gun and began shooting into the home. He stepped inside and continued to open fire. The partygoers ran. Many escaped through the backyard of the home or broke the windows to flee the gunfire. After entering the home, the man began targeting specific people in the house and shooting them execution style. The man arrived at the house, wheeling something behind him that was wrapped in wrapping paper. After he finished shooting, he began using the device he brought with him to start spraying the inside of the home. What he was spraying was a pressurized container that sprayed fuel throughout the home. The home caught fire and was quickly completely engulfed in flames. Neighbors saw the flames and rushed outside. Within minutes, the flames were shooting over 30 feet in the air. They saw people trying to flee the flames, including people jumping out of windows from the second story. One survivor crawled over the wall dividing the two properties and told the neighbors that someone was inside the home shooting. One woman inside the house managed to dial 911, and she identified the man inside shooting as her former brother-in-law, Bruce Pardo. The SWAT team arrived and tried to control the scene. There were multiple injured people who managed to escape the blaze, including the eight-year-old girl who answered the door. SWAT moved them to a neighbor's home to safety so they could be treated and they would make a full recovery from their injuries. By the time SWAT was able to secure the scene, Pardo was gone, and law enforcement began their recovery process. Law enforcement began trying to piece together the evidence at the scene. Pardo quickly fled the area, and law enforcement knew that they needed to find him as soon as possible. The fire inside raged so intensely that it destroyed the home. Altogether, a total of nine people died, all from the same family, including Pardo's ex-wife, Sylvia. Many of the party's attendees were children, and a total of 15 children lost one or both of their parents during the shooting and fire. It's awful. After the fire, investigators were tasked with recovering the bodies. 
Because the fire raged so intensely, those who weren't immediately recovered were labeled missing, but feared dead. The coroner needed to use dental records to positively identify all the victims, and by January 4, 2009, only six victims had been positively identified. The other three were positively identified the next week, and all of the victims died from either gunshot wounds, the fire, or a combination of both. So now we will go through the victims and a bit about their lives. It was really hard to read about, such a big family that spent so much time together. They seemed to spend a lot of time making sure the family stayed close and younger family members would grow up together, and that makes this case all the harder to read about. Sylvia Pardot was born in 1965 to her parents, Joseph and Alicia, and was one of five siblings. She made friends easily at school, and those that knew her also noted her large and welcoming family. It was not uncommon for friends to tag along on Ortega family outings or at parties. She married and had two children, but the father of those children was killed in a car accident many years earlier. She met and married her second husband and had a third child. Their marriage didn't work out and ended in divorce. She met Bruce Pardo in 2004. The two were introduced through her brother-in-law, who was a co-worker of Bruce's. They married in early 2006, and friends and family on both sides were happy with the marriage. Bruce's family thought that Sylvia and her children would provide the structure he needed in his life, and Sylvia's side thought that the charming and funny Bruce would be a good fit for her and her kids. After they were married, Bruce bought a house in Montrose and moved their family in. They also got a dog and were regular fixtures at the Catholic church down the street. Despite the marriage starting out on a good foot, Sylvia confided that their relationship had hit some issues. She said that Bruce's demeanor had changed and the once happy-go-lucky guy had become cold and they argued often, mostly about money. The couple separated in 2008, but they were still living together. Even though they originally planned to live together while Sylvia looked for a new place to live, that changed when Sylvia went to Anise's birthday party. Bruce took that opportunity to put her stuff out on the driveway without telling her. She immediately filed for divorce and moved in with her sister. Despite Bruce making the move that expedited the divorce, his attorney approached Sylvia and her attorney in April of 2008 to attempt a reconciliation. Sylvia declined, saying that her mind was made up and the decision wasn't going to change. According to people who knew about the situation, after Sylvia declined to try to get back together, Bruce was sad but accepted the situation. Their divorce was finalized a week before the murders. After the separation, Sylvia was moving on with her life. She also had a large support system of friends and family to help her through the divorce. She had a young daughter who was just starting school, and by all accounts, Sylvia was looking forward to the next chapter in her life. Joseph Ortega was the patriarch of the Ortega family, and he was 80 years old in 2008. He was the first of his siblings to be born in the United States, and his family was originally from Torreon in northern Mexico. He met his wife, Alicia, in 1955 while visiting Torreon. Alicia was born and raised there, and they married after a short courtship. After that, they moved to Los Angeles and started their life together. The two would have five children and open a painting company in Baldwin Park. Eventually, they purchased a home in the neighboring suburb of Covina, and that became the central meeting point for the family. 
Joseph, or Papa Joe, as he was affectionately referred to as, collected baseball hats and was rarely seen without one. He also loved poker and horse races, but there was nothing he loved more than spending time with his ever-expanding family. Alicia always made an effort to keep in contact with her family that still lived in Mexico. She always maintained ties to her hometown, but her marriage to Joseph was described as love at first sight, so the decision to leave Mexico was almost a no-brainer. She had two dogs that she loved and made friends with her neighbors. They would say that the Ortega family was the nicest, most respectful family they'd ever met, and they made everyone feel welcome, whether they were related or not. Of their five children, only one would survive the rampage. James was Joseph and Alicia's oldest child and was 52 at the time of his death. He came up through the family's business before opening up his own shop down the street. He was close enough to the family's shop to have lunch with his dad and other siblings on a regular basis. He and his wife, Teresa, who was 51, had three children and were very involved in their family. Teresa and James lived in Upland, a suburb several miles east of Covina, James and Teresa were described by those who knew them as loving and committed parents. Where James was the more serious brother, Charles was known as being full of energy. 50-year-old Charles worked for his father's company and was preparing his son to take over the business. He met his wife Sherry, who was 45, when they were in high school and married in 1981. While she would help out at the paint shop, her primary job and passion was caring for the couple's five children. Teachers and the children's school said that the familial bond was apparent just by watching the children and the parents interact. Alicia Ortiz was the daughter of Joseph and Alicia and the mother of three children. She was a strict parent when it came to schooling, but besides that, she was a dedicated and loving mother. Alicia was recently divorced and lived in Ontario with her three children. Her godson gave an interview after her death that described her as a wonderful, caring person and someone he could go to with his problems. She worked at the school where her 17-year-old son Michael attended, and Michael was on the school's basketball team and had been involved with sports all his life. He was a senior and set to graduate in 2009 with plans of going to nearby Cal State Fullerton. Michael was the youngest victim of the attack, and he often spent his free time playing video games, listening to music, and hanging out with his friends, but his family was excited to see where he would go after high school. His uncle would later say that he was excited about his future and that he, quote, was going to make it and that he was going to be somebody. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Bruce 
Bruce Jeffrey Pardo was born and raised in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California. He was 45 years old in 2008. He had a gift for math from a young age, and after graduating high school in Sun Valley, he attended Cal State Northridge and majored in computer science. After graduation, he got a job at JPL in La Canada. His friends and family said he was very smart, but often not very motivated. He loved to be the center of attention and was very charming. Despite being well-liked, he also had a dark side. In 1988, he became engaged to a co-worker, and they planned an elaborate 250-plus person wedding, with his fiance taking money from her savings to pay for the whole affair, as Pardo had fallen on hard times and was living with his mom at the time. On the day of the wedding, Pardo didn't show up. His brother and mom waited over an hour for him so they could arrive together, but he never came. His fiancé later found that he had drained their joint account and went on an impromptu vacation to Palm Springs. She described him as someone who did whatever he wanted when he wanted and had no sense of responsibility to anyone. Another girlfriend said he was goofy and lovable, but sometimes it went too far. On a camping trip, they went rafting, and she fell overboard and nearly drowned. Pardo, not grasping the severity of what happened, laughed at the incident despite the fact that his girlfriend just almost died. In 2001, Pardo was in a serious relationship with a woman. He was 37, and his friends and family were happy that he seemed to have finally settled down. His girlfriend had a one-year-old child from a previous relationship. While under Pardo's care, the child got outside and fell into the pool. When his mom came home, she found Pardo hysterical holding her son. It was determined that the child would not make a full recovery and suffered permanent brain damage. After this diagnosis, Pardo broke up with his girlfriend and they never saw him again. In 2004, Pardo met Sylvia, and like we discussed before, the marriage at first seemed great. Pardo was well-liked and he liked how Sylvia's big family was so close and loving and welcomed him in. Sylvia and Pardo's mom became close while the two were married. And then in late 2007, Pardo's mother told Sylvia about his ex-girlfriend and the son who got hurt while in Pardo's care. She also told Sylvia that Pardo was claiming this child as a dependent, but did not support or visit them. This revelation was reportedly the catalyst that led to the end of the marriage. The divorce proceeding was long, but seemed fairly typical or as typical as any end of a marriage could be. According to friends of Pardo, he would make comments that his ex-wife was taking him to the cleaners, but no one seemed to think that he was more upset than the situation warranted. However, looking back after the attack, investigators found that Pardo started stockpiling weapons in June 2008, just two months after the divorce papers were filed. On June 13th, he bought a 9mm handgun. On June 18th, he was ordered to pay $1,800 a month in spousal support, and the check for his first payment bounced. On July 31st, he was fired from his job where he was making almost $125,000 per year. He was fired for billing hours he did not work, and because he was fired with cause, he was denied unemployment benefits. On August 8th, he purchased another gun, and he would buy three more one month apart because laws in California prohibited the sale of more than one concealable firearm per month. On September 8th, he came to a neighbor asking for a favor. 
This neighbor made specialty costumes, and Pardo was looking to commission a Santa outfit. He said it was for a party, and he dropped off the deposit, and said that he would return for it in November. Despite putting in applications, Pardo remained unemployed and unable to find a job. Furthermore, Pardo and his mother had become estranged, and when they were in court for the divorce, his mother actually sat with Sylvia's family. Friends who were in contact at the time said that Pardo was embarrassed about the state of his marriage and personal life. He was frustrated with his financial situation being made public. However, no one thought that his reaction seemed beyond what, you know, anyone would expect. In October, Pardo was in Iowa and he purchased 16 high-capacity magazines that held 18 rounds each. These magazines were larger than what is allowed in the state of California. When he went home, he picked up his custom-made Santa suit. The week before Christmas, Pardo and Sylvia's divorce was finalized, and he agreed to pay Sylvia $10,000, and she also got to keep the dog and the engagement ring. A couple days before Christmas, he bought a plane ticket to Illinois. His flight was scheduled to leave at 12.30 a.m. Christmas Day. He called his friend in the area and told them that he was planning on a visit. Then he rented two cars, a Dodge and a Toyota. He packed the Toyota with supplies, water, gas can, and a map of the southern U.S. and Mexico. On Christmas Eve, he drove this car to the house of Sylvia's lawyer in Glendale and parked it. The night of Christmas Eve, Pardo was seen by neighbors getting into the Dodge. He said hello and said he was off to a Christmas party. According to them, he seemed normal. At 10 p.m., Pardo's brother came by looking for him. They planned to head to a friend's house, but Pardo wasn't there. Pardo was also scheduled to be an usher for a midnight mass, and he missed that as well. While his family was wondering where he was, Pardo was in Covina attacking and murdering his ex's family. After fleeing the scene, he drove to his brother's house in Silmar, knowing no one would be there. He had third-degree burns on his body from the improvised flamethrower he made, melting the synthetic fabric of his costume to his skin. Pardo's brother came home shortly after 3 a.m. He came inside to find Pardo on his couch, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The subsequent investigation found that the Ortegas were not Pardo's only target, but he did not intend to burn himself so badly. It is believed that he parked the car full of supplies by Sylvia's lawyer because he planned to kill him, switch cars, and escape. There was also evidence that he planned to kill his own mother, but both the lawyer and his mother were unharmed. Just for final thoughts, I think what stuck out to me most was how close the Ortega family was. Everyone who knew them said the same things about them, that they were close-knit, but they were also welcoming to everyone. Like, if you were a friend, you were invited to their parties, you know. Yeah. One of those type of families. Alicia and Joseph built a good life for themselves and their children, and they were enjoying their senior years with the, you know, their huge family. Even Pardo was drawn to how welcoming the Ortega family was, and I think that's makes what he did just all the more sinister. Mm-hmm. He felt slighted and embarrassed by his ex-wife and was unhappy with the divorce outcome, so he tried to take away what was most important to Sylvia, which is her family. I just think he's truly a monstrous person. There are no other words to describe what he did. He was cold and calculating and planned this for months before acting. Mm -hmm. I think the scary part is, is that there didn't seem to be any warning signs to look out for. 
I just wish he would have survived so he could be put on trial for what he did and have to face the surviving family members that he betrayed after they welcomed him into their lives. I know. I wish he would have survived as well. That's just chicken shit to the easy way out after fucking massacring just a bunch of innocent people. You know, he is a monster. That's all you can really say. I mean, it's he got far better than what he deserved, too, I think. I just feel so much for the Ortega family, too. It's just it's so awful. And that's putting it really lightly. It's kind of no words I can think of to just describe what happened. Mm-hmm. It was really, yeah, it was really hard to read through and really sad. But, you know, just like you said, monster, it's really the only word you can describe this guy for sure. And that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. But we wanted to say thank you to some of our listeners who took the time to leave us a five-star review. So thank you to Des Carudo and Sirikai Forset and Laura El Juice for your reviews. Sorry if I said those wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts really helps us out and we'd love to hear from you guys. So thank you very much. And also, before we go, we just wanted to take a second to say thank you to everyone who listened to this podcast. Yeah. 2017 has been just a crazy year. And in some ways, it seems like it went by so slowly. But then in other ways, it seems like I blinked and it was December. Sometimes I have to remind myself that we've been doing this for almost a whole year. I know. We're really excited for the stuff we have upcoming in 2018. But yeah, I mean, we just wanted to say thank you to everyone who listens to the show. Without you guys, we wouldn't have a podcast. So thank you for being, you know, just the literal best listeners that any podcast could have. Yes, definitely. A huge thank you to all of you guys, all you listeners. You guys are amazing. You're awesome. You're bitching. You're everything. I love it. (laughs) Really, though, we really couldn't do this without you guys. And this year has flown by for me, I will say. But I love it. And I love you guys. And I love the show. So keep the suggestions coming. Keep talking on Facebook and keep talking in the group and keep letting us know what you think. And then we just wanted to say happy holidays, and we will see you in 2018. And that wraps us up for another episode of Misconduct. Thank you so much for joining us. Head over to our Facebook group to discuss this week's case. If you're not a member, join and one of our mods will add you ASAP. We love to hear your thoughts and opinions on these cases, so hop on over and let us know what you think. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MisconductPod. We want to give a huge shout out to the Blank Tapes for our intro and outro music, so be sure to check them out on Bandcamp to listen to more of their music. And if you have a case suggestion, let us know about it. You can email us at misconductpodcast at gmail.com, and we will see you in the new year. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.